Uh, I want to say a shout out also to our online campus, our Framingham family, and our TC campus. Come on, can you guys from Ashland give them some love? I hope you guys are with us now. I think we're live now. Good to see you guys this morning. So glad that you're with us. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers there. You know, I just kind of want to open with a word of prayer. I just feel like a little, a little uh, sensitive at the moment. Uh, you know, in the middle of a day of celebration, sometimes it's difficult for some people in certain situations that, you know, can be suffering loss. I have several friends that have lost, uh, you know, you know, uh, miscarried during this season. And, and so I'm thinking about the dads, not just the moms, but the moms too. And, and then people that are suffering loss of a loved one, I have a brother in this, in this room right now. And so will you just bow your heads and pray? I just want to pray for all those people that are in that situation. Father, I pray that the comfort of the Holy Spirit would be present. Lord, that you, your word says you're an ever-present help in our time of need. Your word tells us in 2 Corinthians that you comfort those with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Your word tells us that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. And Father, I pray that those that are suffering loss today within the sound of my voice and even online and other places and people that will listen to this later, that you will bring uh, what your job description says you can bring, help. I pray you bring help in this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fathers. Thank you for the mothers as well. Thank you for the families that are here today and the individuals that are here today. And I pray a special blessing on the remainder of this service in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, praise God. Um, first of all, before I get into this, um, thank you, brother. Before I get into this, uh, I just want to say, as a father, I haven't always been the best father. In fact, I'm still not the best father. I, I, I strive to be a better father today. But, uh, you know, so I don't want to come across like the ultimate authority on fatherhood this morning. Um, I think it's important on days like today to self-deprecate, not self-promote. Come on, somebody. You know, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. And so, um, but how many know that uh, we can say, many of us can say, I'm not where I used to be. Excuse me, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Amen. That's how I feel in my walk with God. And, uh, and so I hope that you guys can be encouraged too, that you can keep moving forward. Today's message, though, a little different. I'm going to flip the script. Uh, I've entitled this message, Daddy's, or, you know, instead of Daddy Issues, Daddy's Issues. So instead of everybody's issues with the dad, these are my issues with everybody else. You guys ready for this? <laughs> so this is, I'm talking about, you know, kind of the things that I see that I need to say. And I figured, you know what? I'm 54 years old today. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. And I got some things that I'd like to share with you this morning. And so as a father, a father figure, a spiritual father in this house, I want to especially emphasize and help those people who need to know how to discern and who to marry. I want to talk to, I'm going to talk to everybody, but I have a special emphasis on the subject of who to marry. Are you with me, everybody? And so this, if I was going to, another way I could title this is five things you need to know before you go. This is a tough uh, 9 a.m. service uh, going on right here. And so today's subject is daddy's issues. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. Okay. All right. Now. Married people, TC, Framingham, do not turn this off because the things that I'm going to share with you, you need to pass down to your children and to your children's children. 
Can I have a big amen in this room? All right. And so five points, five top five daddy's issues. And then we're off to the races and you can guys do your cookouts and all the kind of stuff that you want to do. And I'll get it done before anybody falls asleep. Okay. So now I will say you're not going to like some of the singles. You're not going to like some of the things that I have to say. You're not going to like some of these things. It's going to be a little bit edgy. Okay. In fact, one of the things that I want to say out of the gate is, and I said this one time when I was ministering to someone privately, um, and, and, and this individual is single, and I said to this person, all singles won't get married. All singles won't get married. Most will get married, but all singles won't necessarily get married. Some of you may not like that particular statement, but I want to get your attention early with that edgy statement. But scripturally, it, it, it's in there. It's in the Bible. And, and so I'm not going to keep it from you as a father, as a spiritual father, as a dad. I got to get I got to get some of these things out that are in the Bible. Is everybody OK with that? Yeah. All right. So we're going to look at. Um, so I just setting that up. But but so but the reason I say that is because whether you won't or you will, you're still going to need Jesus as the number one relationship in your life, no matter what. And the Bible is replete with that notion. And so first Corinthians chapter seven will be our main text. We'll look at a bunch of texts in the Bible, but track with me in verse one, first Corinthians chapter seven. Like I said, this is going to be. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting message, okay? So uh, we'll see where this goes, and uh, hopefully I'll make it to the 11 o'clock service. All right, it says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, the Apostle Paul speaking, it says, It is not good for a man to touch a woman. Let's let that sink in, gentlemen. <laughs> You're like, it, it, you know what? It's really quiet in this Catholic church right now. <laughs> Verse 10. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Look at your neighbor and say, get your own, get your own. Come on. Get your own wife, get your own husband. Don't, don't, you can't have mine. Okay. We're going to skip down because this isn't going so well. We're going to skip down to verse six. But I say to you, I say this to you as a concession, not a commandment. And here's the concession. This is the concession, not a commandment. Verse 7. For I wish that all men were even as I am. Now, how was he? He was single. And he stayed single. All the single men. That, that song wasn't out. That song wasn't there. Okay? But that's what, that's what he was. He was a single man. And it says, each one has his own gift from God. Now, by the way, this, this is seen as a gift not a curse if you're single. It's not singleitis, like it's a disease, okay? Sing, si being single is not a disease. Can I have an amen? amen. It's, it's a blessing. It's in many cases. It, now, being able to stay single, by the way, it's a gift. I don't believe it's a spiritual gift. I think it's a natural gift that God gives someone. But the virtues of it are you're not encumbered by the world. You're not encumbered by the choices of the world. You don't have to think about her or him all of the time. And so you can think about more the things of God and the kingdom of God. Are you with me? That's a blessing is what Paul is trying to teach us. And he says, one in this manner and another in that. So some have this gift to not necessarily need to be married. And for the church, I just want to start with this by saying, for the church to put pressure on singles that you have to get married, or there's something wrong with you if you don't get married, is wrong in some instances. If they don't, feel, don't want to, or better yet, don't need to, that's okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's okay. All right. 
Now that we got that out of the way, let's look at verse 8 and let's look at verse 9. Are you still with me? Okay, it says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But here comes, here comes the other side of this. If they cannot exercise self-control. Turn to your neighbor, everybody at all campuses and say, that's probably you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's probably you. That's probably you. It's a good chance. Turn to your second choice. It's a good chance. If it's not him, it's you. It's a good chance it's you. It says, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So we all have different gifts. We all have different. But if you can't exercise self-control, uh, then you should marry is what the Bible is telling you to do. Now, some of you are already upset in this message. So you're going to really hate the rest of this message if you're upset already. Okay. So here's the big idea if you're taking notes or care to con con continue in this message. Next, is, next to your decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the most important decision is who you should marry. It is the most important decision that you have in your life. It's more important than where you go to school, where do you go to college, what your job is, where you live one day, a house you buy, the car you drive. It is next to your decision to receive. Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. The most important decision in your life because it has the potential to make your life a living hell or heaven on earth. That's why. Amen. It can be joyful or it can be a living nightmare. And God knows that. So we need to know how to discern who to marry. Are you with me? And the reason I'm spending time in this on Father's Day and having some daddy's issues worked out here right now is because more and more people are making the decision who to marry for the wrong reasons than any other time in my entire life and ministry. I actually, I, I, I put it out there with my kids. I said, my one Father's Day gift that I'm asking from you, since you have no money and I give you all my money, is listen to this freaking message. All right. Shout out to my beautiful girls. My baby girl had her little bachelorette party last night. So beautiful. She gets married in October. Praise the Lord. Uh, she and my, and my future son-in-law will be here in this church in just a couple of weeks. Praise the Lord. They're relocating here. So that's good stuff. Amen. But I'm talking about this because, uh, because there's so many bad decisions out there. And so I don't want you to stand before God, and you can't after today, and say, I didn't know that. You won't be able to say that, okay? And so I got five points, five daddy's issues, and then security can usher me out of here. Okay, so... Top five. Here we go. Number one, when you get married, are you with me, everybody? Yes. When you get married, you must know what the other person's spiritual status is. Can, can we just let that sink in for a second? You got to know their salvation status. That's like just bare bones. Bare bones. Like the basics, okay? The Bible is super clear about this. I don't think it's just your salvation status. I think it's your spiritual status. I'll elaborate in a second. But 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. There it is. There it is, right in the Bible. Can you, can you guys handle me preaching the Bible this morning? Okay, all right. It says, what fellowship? Fellowship is deeper than relationship. In other words, one is connection. Another one's covenant. So relationships, connection, but, but fellowships, covenant. You're not supposed to be in covenant with people. Out of balance in your unequally is an adverb that modifies the verb yoked. 
adverb to verb. And it's basically saying you can't be out of balance in your relationship with someone else. It's not saying you can't have a relationship with someone who's an unbeliever. It's saying you can't be the, the lesser influence in the relationship with someone who's an unbeliever. Is everybody with me? This is good preaching and teaching at the same time. Okay. All right. So whether you're, so many people are dating, uh, hanging out with whatever word you want to use, courting, if you're really old school, relating strongly with people who are not Christians, have no spiritual interest whatsoever, no connection with God, no church affiliation, totally you're totally disregarding the instructions of God right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, matter of fact, just because people, by the way, just because people go to church doesn't mean they're saved. Okay? Point in case. In, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to self, self-disclose. In my own family, everybody say in his own family. My daughter, who I just spoke of, she and her boyfriend go to the same school. Christian school. Spirit-filled Christian school. My alma mater. Going to Christian school, he's playing, he's playing Division One baseball, a great athlete. Um, Devin, get ready, get ready, get ready, Devin. You're in for a lot of competition, son. But anyway, uh, but everybody just assumed that my boy Anthony, my, my, my son, to, coming into the family now, I've already accepted him by, by grace through faith in Jesus' name. But my son Anthony, everybody assumed he's a Christian. Nope, but nobody asked him. Going to Christian school, raising his hands, singing the songs. Not one. Never assume that people in your life, because they go to church or because they have church behaviors, are saved. So I'm outside the gym and I ask him his story. I say, "Tell me your story." He starts telling me a story, but God's not in the equation. I said, "Well, tell me your story about relation, your relationship with God. When did you come to faith?" He said, "Well, I haven't." So I led him to Jesus right in Natick, right in Natick here at the MetFit gym before we went to work out. I said, before we go to work out, I got to make sure you got this worked out. Because you're going to be in my family. This is going to be an important part of your, of your relationship with her is your relationship with God. I led my son-in-law to be to Jesus Christ right in the parking lot there, everybody. Okay. Came back from the gym. I said, Anthony, why don't you share with the family just what, what just happened? I wanted him to learn how to testify right away. Put him right on the spot. Praise God. So, my <laughs> so some of you are saying, thank God I'm not in his family. But anyway, my encouragement is you shouldn't just, you should be two people growing in your faith. Growing, and I'll say going in the same direction. Some of you are going to pass this tape on to somebody else, this message on, because you're like, I don't think I have the boldness to say it, but I want them to hear it, and that's okay with me. But you, two people going in the same, they don't have to be at the same level, but they need to be going in the same direction. Spiritual status, okay, not just salvation status. I find it interesting, sometimes I'll ask a young person, they're, they're, they're telling me about their, their special friend, you know, the person that they're, their partner, or whatever, and I'll say, I'll say uh, you know, do you know if they're saved? They'll say, I don't know. I don't know. And I want to say, first of all, they've been dating a while. And I say, what do you talk about then? What do you talk about? Like, for the love of Moses, how could you not know? How at some point in time has it not come up in some way, somehow, in some measure, it hasn't come out of their mouth or out of your conversation, your relationship with God? There ought to be some sign. Can I get excited this morning? There ought to be some substance. There ought to be some fruit. There ought to be some capacity that says you belong to Jesus and you ought to talk about it. And if they're not talking about it, I got daddy's issues this morning. Can you guys tell? I'm just kind of working this out, okay? And I'm just, I'm, 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 
I'm, I'm discouraged, but I'm trying to encourage. I'm, I can't believe how far we've come from the Bible. I also would challenge you, just since I'm going down this road, I might as well, because security will usher me out after this. But I think they should not only be committed to Christ, they should be committed to a local church. I think you should be submitted to a local church. Not just committed, but submitted. In other words, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, look at it with me, 13.7. Can you handle this this morning? All right, the amens are getting lower and lower and lower in the services here. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Where are you going to learn that? You're going to learn that in church. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit. See that commit, then submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. And they're going to have to give an account of that. But when, when, you, when you submit to their authority, you do it so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So I, I'm just telling you, by the way, who's, who, who's watching over your soul? You need somebody that's watching over your soul outside of your family, according to the scripture. You should have leadership in your life. That's what this is telling us. You don't have to agree with that, but that's okay. You, at least you heard it. And I think sometimes we're not committed and submitted to a local church, and it's a sign of pride and arrogance. Because we don't want anybody to tell us anything. We don't want to have to hear what anybody has to say. And we just like to be large and in charge of our whole life because we're living in an autonomous culture. And praise the Lord, the amens are getting lower and lower. And so anyway, uh, <laughs> I think you should have these standards, by the way, before you get into a relationship. A lot of people are trying to introduce these standards after they get in a relationship. Before you have your first date, you should have a list. Of, my daughter Mallory learned the hard way. So when she has a first date, she wants to know, I need to know what your status is on Jesus. I need to know what your status is on the local church. I need to know what your status is on, you know, on giving. I want to know who's your pastor. What do you mean? What's his name? Do you know how many people say I go to this church and I go to that church and they don't even know the blessed pastor's name? I've heard that so many times. I could, if, if for every nickel, if, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I'd be a rich man. You can tell I have some daddy's issues this morning. I don't know how it's going on over there at TC in Framingham, but it's, it's, it's tense in here. It's tense, tense, tense. By the way, missionary dating, while I'm on that subject, missionary dating, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach him, you know, once I, once I start dating him. I'm going to evangelize. What, with your body? We don't evangelize with our bodies. No, this is not evangelism. That, that's just, that's something else that's driving you to do that. Come on, somebody, I got to get to the next point. All right, number two, write this down. I, I got to get away from that. Um, number two, five top daddy's issues in discerning who and how, and this applies to everybody, not just singles, but, but to singles, before you get married, get your parents' blessing. Get your parents' blessing. This is so old school this morning. Like I said, I didn't know who'd show up today. Uh, but anyway, Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart, this is the person of authority, is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. What does this mean? I think it means, I believe it means that God controls the authority, the position, the person in the position of authority. He controls his heart. He, he's going to steer it in the right direction. You don't steer it in the right direction. He does. That's why it's always good to trust God and trust the, the principles of authority. So, in fact, when you rebel against authority, you're rebelling against God because God establishes authority in Romans 13. Mm, so quiet in here. But anyway, so I think, PD, what if you can't get their blessing? What if you can't get the blessing? Well, first of all, I would say if you don't have it, it's probably a sign that something's wrong somewhere if you don't have it. 
from your parents. So maybe, maybe it means wait. This is one extreme. And maybe it means cut bait. I don't know. But I would tell you, if you don't have it, get with your significant other, set up a meeting, sit down and find out what the issue is and try your best. Instead of bailing out on that blessing, figure out how to get the blessing from them. Because you don't want... Because there could be something wrong. That's all I'm trying to get you to see. Because you can't see clearly. Love is blind. And there is more objectivity. And I would submit to say experience. Now, if they're not a believer, then sometimes you have to filter that a little bit through the lens of Scripture. When I say filter, yeah, filter it through the lens of Scripture. And you might need to have some spiritual parentage or spiritual input from you in your life. Because they're going to come to you more from the Word of God. But they got to know you. they got to know you. Amen. Are you, are you with me? That's why you got to be in a church so they know you. You should have some people that you look up to. The Bible talks about having mothers and father figures in the Bible in your life. And by the way, parents, so I'm not just going after the kids all the time. i got so much to say in 13 minutes and 42 seconds. I feel, I feel driven here. But, but parents, you have a role and a responsibility to tell them how, as the authority, how your heart is inclined. Like, and be honest. I'm amazed. I have seen this happen so many times. How many parents who are troubled in their spirit about the direction and the selection of their children and they still give their consent because they're so afraid of the disapproval. It's, it's sad. It's just really sad. And so I'm just saying you should be honest with them. And if you believe that this is, this is the right thing to tell them, if you think it's, 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 it's concerning to you or it's troubling to you, obviously tactfully tell them. And just on the other side for the kids, don't, do you want your parents to concede or do you want their full blessing? I think you want the full blessing because you're not just marrying the person, you're marrying the family. You're marrying the family. You're going to be around them a lot. It's just going to be a lot of stress. You mean, all y'all's lives are going to be mixed up together for a lot of years. Amen? I remember my daughter Morgan, my youngest, was dating a kid in high school. And, and, and I didn't do this well. And, and I'll go on record, Momo. I call her Momo. I go, right, Pop, Pops didn't handle this well, but I was very direct with this young man. Like, you are not going to have anything to do with my daughter. Just like nose to nose, poor, little, poor guy, 15, whatever, 16, 17 years old in my house. Had to be very scary. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. It had to be very scary and intimidating for him. And Momo was not happy about how I handled that. But my heart was: there is no way our families are gonna link up so different. This is gonna have to be a journey. This is gonna be a process. And this is happening too fast. This is moving a little bit too quickly. And again, you're probably not liking my points. But what I think the kids should want from their parents is to feel the weight of your words. Maybe they don't come out right, but the weight of them. Because someday you're going to have to make a choice, and you have to make a choice for yourself. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we leave and we cleave. Our we leave our father and mother, and we cleave unto our spouse, and we have to establish our own family. We Amen? But you should still want to honor your parents and feel the weight of what they say and what they think. Are you with me? The weight of words. And parents, we should be okay with, we should emphasize more if we're not happy with something, our disapproval. Because if you don't express your disapproval on the front end, you'll be expressing your disappointment on the back end. Disapproval is a way better emotion to communicate than disappointment. Disapproval is before, disappointment is after. 
That's a good word, whether this 9 a.m. likes it or not. Praise the Lord. I'm going to do it anyway. So uh, Ephesians tells us children, that doesn't mean just when they're young and 10 and 12 years old. It means you're all, I'm, I'm a child still. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So I don't have to do everything my parents say, but I honor my mother and father. I still feel and hear the weight of their words, even though I have my own family. Are you with me? Why? Because there's an incentive in the Bible so that it may go well with you and you can enjoy a long life. How many want a long life and things go well? Amen. So God puts it in there that you would seek the blessing, the blessing, the blessing. So if you don't have that, find out what that is, work that out. Oh, my gosh, so many things to say here. By the way, I'm so about preemptive work versus post-trauma work when it comes to relationships. So I, if you are in a situation where you're dating somebody, before there's a ring on the finger and a date on the calendar, get into counseling. If you've defined the relationship and love is being thrown around and marriage is on the table, we're talking about getting married, we tell each other we love each other, which sometimes happens week one, what in the blazes is wrong with these people? But if you're doing that kind of stuff and it's a defined relationship, it's exclusive, L and M words are on the table, get into counseling. We call it pre-engagement counseling. Why is that important? Because you're more inclined to work through the issues and not be preoccupied with an event on the calendar. You're more inclined and more likely to be able to walk away from something because the investment hasn't been made and a target hasn't been set. Are you with me? And so get into that pre-engagement. Parents, let me remind you of something else too, swinging back and forth. Your job is to give your kids wings. I'm, go I'm going, let me, let me be particular here. I'm trying to figure out if I want to say what, I, what I'm thinking in my head. I notice this with certain ethnicities. Let me say it like that. You ready? Keen in. Some, some parents, some, some heritages are clipping their kids' wings, not giving them wings. And they're keeping them too attached to the home and not letting them establish their own life. And so they're locked down serving you and taking care of you. And I want to go on record and say that's wrong. Your job is to be a steward. You are a steward of these children. You are not an owner. They are on loan from God to you. You're, they're called to leave one day and cleave. But some of you keep and control. And they're still paying money back to you. They're helping you with your obligations and your responsibilities. And they're called to go into the future. In fact, you're called to lay up wealth for your children and your children's children, not the opposite. And I think somebody needed to hear that out there. And you can just pass that tape on to somebody else. Praise the Lord. But that's a problem, okay? So release, release, release. So on one hand, I'm saying get their blessing and listen, but I'm not trying to say control. I'm, I'm saying leverage the relationship and influence you have, not control people with the influence that you have. Number three, number three, you still, still here? Still here? Okay. Number three, to kind of know how to discern who to marry, you got to hear God's voice about your choice. You got to hear God's voice about your choice. Now, I don't know how God communicates with you. In the early years, he would communicate with me. I would ask him for, like, signs and wonders. Like, I was just immature. I needed him to be crystal, crystal clear. As I've grown and matured, you know, he doesn't speak to me the way he used to when I was younger in faith. But for some of you, you need to be really just like, God, I need you to spell this out. This is a big decision. And I promise you that he will. Are you with me? Some of you are like, I don't know how to hear God's voice. And I would just say to you, familiarity will help you with that. Relationship. 
You just need to stay in constant relationship with God and don't complicate it. You know your mother's voice. You know your father's voice because of familiarity. You spent a lot of time with them. Spend time with God, you'll know his voice. But if you struggle, everybody say, if I struggle. If you struggle, get with people who know God's voice well and seek their counsel and advice. Okay? And let them help you discern. Because sometimes I can't discern the will of God for me as good as I can helping somebody else that's in my life. I can see things because I'm not separated uh, uh, and I'm not blinded by my emotions, my wants, my desires, my feelings, and my fears, and my hidden drivers. And so sometimes I seek counsel to help me discern. But at the end of the day, end of the day, I have to stand on my own two feet with that decision as I stand before God. Are you with me, everybody? So sometimes if you just ask him, He'll help you see. I had a friend, Brian, and uh, he was an elder in this church for many years. He was a stewardship director for this church for many years. And uh, he, had not, he was single for, for quite a while. He was single way into his late 30s, and, uh, and his mid-30s. And, and he, was, um, he, was, he was wanting a, this, he wanted a wife, okay? And he, had, and he heard the need to put together a list. How many know what I'm talking about? You got to get a list, okay? These are the things that I want my wife. And I said, Brian, we were at Hopkins State Park. We were hanging out, having a little, you know, mentor. And I thought, Brian, you know, I heard about this list. Let me see that list. Because it seems to me there's a struggle. There's a little bit of struggle here, like making this thing come to pass. And so I saw, and by the way, I had a girl in mind that I thought would be perfect for Brian. Okay? So I was playing matchmaker, match. I was just, I thought I had somebody. Okay? Well, well and I just couldn't believe he couldn't see her. So Brian shows me the list, and, I'm, and, he go, and it goes through this whole thing, and you know, she's got to be blonde, and she's got to be... The, and it's all, it started external, and at the bottom, it got to spiritual, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there was like 15 items. It started all here on the external, and then it got to the internal. I said, Brian, let me, let me ask you a question. If we just took that script, and we just went... And we made number 12, number one, and number 12, number one, number 12... Now that you look at, just look at that for a second. Just take a look. Take a peek. Look at that. I said, now, I want you to insert this girl, Lynn, into that picture. And you know, he looked at me and goes, huh, huh, huh. I don't know, Pastor Derek. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. You know, within days, we started having conversations, and I started, like, creating kind of a little setup. Those two have been married for many years and have two beautiful children, and he thinks she's the most beautiful woman to walk the planet Earth, and all the external stuff is there. But he put first things first, everybody, and he asked God to show him and help him, and he listened to godly counsel. Are you with me? This will help some of you, because some of you, I had one guy come up to me, Pastor, I just don't know who to marry. I don't know what to do you know I got hundreds of women after me <laughs> really 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 brother okay my god my god I don't know about that brother I'm not sure when I was younger I had I had a girl in this church tell me tell me my, this happened more than once this is going to sound a little arrogant it's unqualified if my wife is here she backed me up but it's several girls tell me that God told them that I was supposed to be their husband That happened to me, okay? And I want to give you two pieces of advice if that ever happens to you. Number one, run, Forrest, run, okay? That's my first piece of advice. If somebody comes up to you and says that to you, to your face. One girl knocked on the front door of my house. My parents answered the door, and she was there with her father to declare that God told her that I... 
I, my parents called me the door. I said, I am not going to the front door. I'm not going to the front door. I will go out the back door, but I am not coming to the front door. I will see you later. So number one, run for us, run. Number two, if you hear from God, keep it to yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, amen, amen. If you hear from God about a person, keep it to yourself and ask him to confirm that to you. Oh my gosh, I have so much in this point, it's impossible to do it all. But God spoke to me about my wife actually when we were broken up. We went into the relationship the wrong way. God intervened, we backed up, and in the back up, I began to see clearly. And God spoke to me and said, in so many words, she's the one for you. And I realized that I couldn't live without her and I couldn't do life without her. And I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with her. And then I began to pursue her for the right reasons. Come on, somebody. God will speak to you if you ask him to speak to you. But get a confirmation. Number four. Are you still there, everybody? Yes. This, ain't, this ain't all going to go down today. Okay, number four. This is tough. All right? This is a tough one. You ready? You already put it out there so everybody knows. So you, you got to let, let me drop it. Okay, you need to pre-decide your position on divorce. Okay, let me say it before you put it out there. All right. Since divorce, pre, kind of a, a previous marital status is such a big deal. Uh, by the way, tons of scriptures on this that you need to, you need to see for yourself. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, but there's Matthew 5. 31 through 32, Matthew 19, 1 through 12, like I said, listen to this later, Mark 10, 11 through 12, Malachi 2, 16 through 17, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 17. Divorce is a controversial and sensitive subject, no doubt about it. Let me give you the highest level position I can put in a sentence, but my position on marriage is I believe, I believe this, I believe one man being married to one woman for one lifetime. That's basically our position, okay? That's a biblical position. One man, one woman, one person for one lifetime. Now, I know there's a lot of different views out there, but here's what I'm trying to say in this sub. You need to search the scriptures for yourself, for yourself before you get married, not after, before you get married. Don't just make a decision on this subject based on your feelings. Make it based on the word of God. Are you with me? Because each of us will have to stand before God for the aforementioned and many others that I didn't put in there, scriptures. You'll have to stand before God on those things. And that's why you need to know. Well, who cares what the world says about marriage? Well, the world thinks you can get married 10 times until you find the right one. Elizabeth Taylor said, don't worry, I won't hold you long to, to her eight husbands. Eight husbands, okay? In this church, this is an honest truth, I pastored a woman who had been married ten times. Ten times. She was going on to, she was getting ready to get out of her tenth marriage, going on to her eleventh one, and I asked her a question. I was basically like, listen, what have you learned about yourself from all of these relationships. She says, I don't know, I'm so confused. And I said, you think? You think? At some point, the world, you gotta ask yourself, in all these examples, and all these misses, and all these you know, startups and start overs, you gotta say, are all these jokers wrong, or could it be you? Could it be you, right? So anyway, if you get, if you get, if you look at the subject of divorce, the, the oversimplification of a monstrosity of a subject is the exceptions for divorce biblically are abuse, abandonment, adultery. 
That's really the only ones you can make a case for in the Bible. Not, ready, ready? Not irreconcilable differences. That's the number one reason people get divorced today in America is irreconcilable differences. That, that doesn't hold up, okay? So, listen, I need a little grace, Pastor. All right, get ready. Let me sprinkle some grace on this. If you've gotten divorced for the wrong reasons, you did it. There's always grace. Can I just say where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Can I have an amen out there? All right? But the truth is, the truth is the other side of grace, okay? You can't have grace without truth and truth without grace. You can't. You don't get saved and experience grace if you don't, if you don't receive and accept the prickly truth, you're a sinner. Truth and grace are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. So if you want grace, if you've been divorced and you remarried and maybe you didn't do all those things for the right reason, make all the right choices, you want grace on your relationship, embrace the prickly truth that you didn't do it the way God said so and repent for it. That's how you get grace in your marriage, just like you want grace on your eternity, by repenting. Ooh, it's tough. It's tough in this room, but I, I, I'm again, daddy issues. I want to help you because sometimes we, we're, we're thinking about things, these, these things when we're already entangled. We're already entangled in a relationship with someone, oftentimes someone who's been divorced. And so do these things before. Hear your pastor. Amen. Number five, last point. Can you handle all these things? I'm going to go through these things quickly. Number five, have a checklist. You do need a checklist, okay? But your checklist shouldn't look like this. Are you ready? Don't have a checklist that starts with, I marry the person based on the car they drive. That car has a big car payment underneath the hood, okay? And it's just, the car won't last, Number, okay? It's just not going to happen. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen, this is so crazy, but even in Christianity, that are attracted to a person because of the car they drive. There are people in this room that will tell you how stupid it was to buy the car in the first place, using it to try to attract people to something they actually didn't have behind the scenes. That's happened right here in this house, okay? Number two, don't marry people based on the curves she has. Okay, because those curves, they're going to change over time. They're going to change over time. <laughs> I'll just leave it there and move on. Don't marry somebody because of the countenance. Their face, their cuteness, or whatever. Don't focus, in other words, on the external so much. Number, number, the last one is don't marry somebody because of the cash they have. Very few amens on that one because they want all the money they can get. See, if you marry people because of how much money they have, you're going to be chasing the wrong things in the marriage. That's what I'm trying to say to you, everybody. All right, flipping the other sides quickly. Marry a person based on compatibility common interests. Most people in the world system marry people because of compatibility sexually. That's what most people in the world think. Yes, we need to be compatible sexually. I got to test drive it. You know, I got to make sure this thing's going to work. Listen, that is a worldly paradigm that distorts the purity and it and, and brings something illicit into the relationship that on, before marriage, it will have a certain pleasure. And then after marriage, the illicit goes away and the joy of the, of the sexual relationship goes away with it. Are you with me? And so don't, it's, we're talking about common interests, 
We're talking about, you're going to spend a lot of time with this person. You know, my, our, my number one quality in our marriage, if my wife was here, she'd say the same thing, is our friendship. Our, we, love, we enjoy each other's company. Above everybody, above all y'all. Nobody in this room I'd rather spend time with more than I would Stacy, And I would say she'd say the same thing. Uh, here's the second, and it makes for a great marriage. 30 years, praise the Lord. Marry people based on their character. Do they have integrity? This is a strong statement coming with this, and I'm just going to go over time this morning a little bit. But by and large, by and large, short of, minus of the intervention of the Holy Spirit, and you did freedom all in, by and large, people's character does not change after they get married. That's just, I'm just telling you from an experience standpoint, if they were a liar before you got married, they were a liar after. If they were a cheat before, they're going to be a cheat after. If they were, didn't pay their taxes before, they're going to have trouble paying their taxes after. If they were nasty before, they're going to be nasty after. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were nasty before and you nasty after. <laughs> and, 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 and this is what will happen if... If, if you're having, and by the way, if you're having sex before marriage, it will blind you. Listen to me, sub point, it will blind you to their character. You won't see all those things because of sex, but there are, all those character things are there and they'll surface as soon as sex loses its sizzle. Okay? All right, I'm moving right along. Praise the Lord, because insecurity is going to usher me out of here. Competence, okay? That's the ability to practice, just grow. It takes skill to be a good, a good married, a married man or woman, okay? You got to learn. You got to go to school, all right? Another one is communications. Can you communicate together? Does she listen? Or does she run her mouth all the time? Come on, somebody. Does she give you a chance to ever talk? Don't worry, guys, I'm coming for you. Does she ever give you a chance to talk? <laughs> Does he ever talk? Does he use more than monosyllabic tones? Like, it goes both sides. Do you, do you communicate? Can he express his feelings when there's a problem? Or does he just bury those things and put those things away? That's a problem, all right? Children, how many, how many does he actually have before you get married? How many baby daddies does she have? You know, how many, more importantly, how many children do you want to have? More people get married and they haven't even discussed this and it becomes a major problem. And I've had it in my office. It's been in the pastor's office here in this room. Cash management. Can they handle money? Can they handle money? Not do they have a lot of money. Can they handle money? Here's one. Credit report. I called my daughter up just a little while ago. I said, I, didn't th I, I missed this on Mallory and I'm not going to miss it on you. Do you know your boy's credit? Honest truth, I just did this in the last month. She said, yes, daddy, you taught me well. We've had that discussion. I know all his debt situation. I know he knows my situation, which is no debt. Praise God. You got to know because you can tell a lot about somebody's character if they, based on their credit report. Some of you guys think this is nuts and that's okay, but you're going to spend the rest of your life and this is the biggest blessed decision in your life next to your decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Last point, continence. Continence. This is referring to self-control. Can they sexually control themselves? See, when I, when I got married, I thought, I thought it was going to be sex all the time. I literally did. I just, that's what I thought it was all about. I get home from work, man, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just, I'm like running in the house like <laughs> I thought I could be transparent in this church. I just what I thought it was. But how many know it wasn't like that, right? 
turn, turn and look at all the married people, and they'll, they'll go, no, it ain't like that. It wasn't like that. It definitely wasn't like that. Yeah, changed really quickly. Okay. But <laughs> somebody looking at me funny. First, the first lady and me, we didn't have all these kids just reading books, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. All right. But there are seasons when sex is off limits or when it's limited. And so we have, we have to, I think the best gift you can give your fiance, the best gift even after marriage you can give your spouse is continence. The ability to, they need to know that you can control yourself. Amen? Why don't you stand your feet? I've gone over time. I don't even know if you guys like that message at all. I don't really. The security, if I could have security down here, the right and the left, I'm going to get out of here as quickly as possible. Hey, TC and Framingham, good luck, okay, with this transition. But no, in all seriousness, I love you guys. Thank you for being with us this morning. I'm going to pray for the people in this room, pastors, campus pastors. Pray for your people. Love on them this morning. Fix everything that I messed up in your church. I love you. Hey, with every head bowed and, and every eye closed here, this is what I would say in all sincerity. There are some of you that are getting ready to go into marriage or a relationship or considering that maybe in the future you would. And so you need to apply this. I'm going to pray for you. There are some of you in a relationship and there's been some, uh, there's been some poor decision making or there's some problems and some stress in the relationship. And I want to pray for you too. So Father, in Jesus' name, for those two groups of people, Father, I pray for those that need to make wise decisions. Father, would they hear the voice of Father God? Hear the voice of Father God. If anything that I've said is not true, if anything I've said is not helpful and useful, Lord, may those words fall to the ground. But God, if these words, if these words are wise, if these words are helpful and useful to the building up of my brothers and sisters in this room, to help them in the most important decision in their life next to Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would stick like Velcro to their hearts in the name of Jesus. And Father, for every person, that is in a relationship, that didn't make some of these decisions, that would like to have favor back on their fellowship with their spouse. Father, I pray, I pray for a grace to come on them, but I pray also that there would be an embrace of truth, that they would get right with God before they try to get right with each other. And Lord, that they would do whatever they need to do to make things right in their relationship with you. And Lord, even, even get away and say, Lord, I am sorry for the decisions that I've made they, that were selfish and self-centered and, 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 and independent of you and your word. I repent in Jesus' name. And Father, for people who are in this room who've never committed their life to Jesus and want him because that is the most important decision, if they're here today and they want to make Jesus the center of their lives. That's how relationships work. It's a threefold core. It's not two people coming together by themselves. You need Jesus at the wheel of your life, in the center of your life. And you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just challenging you as a spiritual father. Today is the day of salvation for you. Make it today. Make today on Father's Day the big day, a day you can remember where you surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me right where I am. I'm going to pray for you, right where you are. God bless you, sister. Anybody else? Good. God bless you, brother. Is there anybody else that says that's me? Good. I want to be able to see you. Good. Be bold. Be bold. Be bold. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your boldness and your courage. Anybody else? Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you pray with them? Those that raise your hand, pray this prayer. Everybody together say, Jesus, today is the day of salvation for me. I invite you into my life 
to be my Savior, but also my Lord. And I surrender and I submit to Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I submit to your word and to your ways. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. I embrace the truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big